Jesus. So, Father, we come before you today, and we lift up the name of your Son. If it wasn't for your wonderful Son, Jesus, Lord, I can't imagine where we would be. But we'd be lost and we'd be hopeless. We do know that. And, and today, Lord, that you, you, you've given us the grace to worship you and, and to proclaim you as King, as Lord, as Savior. And as we remember those titles that you have in our life, Lord, that we would humbly submit ourselves to the truths of your word. Father, these aren't men's words. These are your words. They're breathed by you, Lord, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And we pray that we take them in and, and that we wouldn't just acknowledge them, but that we would follow them with all of our hearts. So, Lord, above all things, for myself, for each person here today, have your way with us, Lord. Have your way with this church. Have your way with our youth downstairs. And, and Father, may you be doing such a work in our lives that we'd be those vessels of honor that are fit and meet for your use. So help us, Lord, because we're weak. Lord, we're, we're like sheep. We go astray. But, but, Lord, you're always calling us back to you. So I pray the sweetness of the fellowship that we can have in our personal relationship with you will be the catalyst to keep us going. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me. And if you're visiting today or if you're new here today, you're in for some things you probably never heard before. It's not your typical church sermon, but it's in the Bible, so it should be. In today's message, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, it's a message of hope. It's a message of hope, not just for us in Christ, but for our loved ones who have gone before us to heaven. Paul gave us some great practical living instructions that we looked at last week. He told us to study to be quiet or learn to be still, to mind your own business, and to work as we've commanded you. He's told us to be honest, to live a life of integrity before the lives of other people, knowing that God's looking over us. But we pick up today in verse 13. And as we pick up in verse 13, this was some things that were taking place in this church and can take place in our church too because we're cut of the same fabric. But when you speak of hope, and that's what we're going to be seeing here today, we're going to be looking at hope for others, we're going to be looking at hope for ourselves, hope for what lies ahead in the future, I want you to remember that a biblical definition of hope is an absolute confidence of future good. The Bible declares that our future in Christ is good. Okay, so, so our hope is not like this, all right? But our hope is like this. I know. I know in whom I have believed. And that what I've entrusted to him, he's able to keep against the day that is coming. So I want us to remember that, that we don't have fingers crossed, but we've got a Bible from a God who cannot lie to us to give us confidence of hope, 
Great confidence. That's what lies ahead in our future. So we look at first here, hope for others, okay? He says, verse 13, I would not have you to be ignorant. And that word ignorant there, literally in the Greek, it's agnoio. It literally means to, to not have information about or to be unaware of, okay? So he doesn't want us to be that way. He wants to inform us. He said that I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep or those who have literally died in the faith that you sorrow not, even as others who have no hope. you got to recognize this about this church. This church was known for love, all right? And every church should be. Okay, the Bible tells us that Jesus said that they'll know that you're my disciples, my followers, by the love that you share with or that you show one another. Okay, so really a telltale sign, if you ever move to another area and you have to get plugged into a church, you better make sure, number one, they love the Lord, and number two, they love you. That's the way this church was. This church was operating. I just want to commend you because I really believe you're a loving congregation. When we had Wes Aram here speak, and he did that evangelistical message, and some people gave their hearts to Christ that day, he came up to me afterwards. He said, Jeff, I speak all over the place in all different churches. He said, what you got going on here, what the Lord's got going on here during the greeting and after church, he goes, I don't see that anywhere. But I saw it here today. And it really encouraged him. You know what that was a sign? It was a sign of God working his love in you, through you, into the lives of one another. And you blessed an evangelist because of it. More importantly, you you blessed Jesus Christ because of it. So this church, they live with an amplified love towards one another. Remember what Paul said, oh, Corinthians, and they were the troublemaking church. You know, my heart's enlarged towards you. You know, his heart for them just continued to grow. His, he had a big heart for the troublemakers. You know, but, but I love that about him because he was willing to take from God this unconditional love and pour it into those who didn't deserve it. Conditions were adverse, right? But the thing I love about Paul, he was always willing to grow in his love. And, and, and I've shared this with you that, you know, we've been called to run a race. We've been called in that race, you know, wanting to finish well for God, wanting to drop aside all the weights and the sins that so easily beset us. We've been called to run that race with endurance, right? And and I think about Paul's heart just enlarged, just growing. You know, we got we to gotta ask God that our love for one another would grow. You know, I, I, I always think when, he, when, when I read that, I, I think about the horse secretariat. Remember secretariat, man? He was one butt-kicking, record-setting horse. I love that horse. I've asked the Lord, when we come back from heaven and we're following Jesus on horses, can I please have secretariat? But what made this horse so much different than the other horses, remember, he'd lollygag at the gate, and then he'd just kind of come out and blow by everybody, uh, except for the last race. He just went full steam ahead, and they couldn't believe his heart didn't blow up. But the, re- the reason was, when the horse died, they did an autopsy on him. And the heart that was inside of the carcass of Secretariat was three, almost three times bigger than the average horse heart. And that's what I see that God wants to do. He wants to amplify and multiply the love that's in our life currently for him and for one another. That's what God wants to do. How does he do it? He does it by the working of the Holy Spirit. That's how he does it. His love shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. It's not you. It's connecting with God 
living your life in a shadow of great appreciation for the blood that was shed on the cross of Jesus Christ and given the Holy Spirit full reign, full reign, that that love could be amplified. These people were broken hearts. Somebody died in their church. It was, ah, so-and-so died. It was like they were broken. They weeped with those who weeped as they rejoiced with those who rejoiced, just like the Bible tells us to. So we see this about this church. They had an amplified love for one another. And they were living with great anticipation that that Jesus would come. This church was a family, okay? And I hope you feel that way about this church. Because a church should have a family feel. That we love one another, we take care of one another. But this is what he says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as those who have no hope. Now, one of the things that we see here is he's speaking to brethren. This is to believers, this can be claimed by believers. Okay, and, and I wanted to find this. We had this conversation the other night on the deck of the barn during our young adult study. It, it, is that what we have today is, is a cheap believism. All right? And, and being a believer in Jesus Christ literally means you're born again and you're following him. Not that you're acknowledging his existence. The devils bel- acknowledge his existence. But they chose not to follow him. So there's a commitment of the life to embrace Christ as Lord and Savior for forgiveness of sins, and now my life follows him. All right? There should be fruit that I'm following. Imperfectly? Yes, absolutely, man. You're, You're looking at the most imperfect person probably in this church up here teaching you the Bible today. But 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 that we are following him. So so it's two brethren. Only claimed by a certain group of people, born into the family of God, adopted into the family of God by faith alone, by, through God's grace. We've been saved. It's not of ourselves. We can't brag. It's no works. It's because we put our faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross. Asleep, those who have died in the faith. Now, what Paul's saying here, and I want you to get this, okay, because this is like a condemnation of the devil. When someone you love dies and you cry about it, they're a believer, and you, and you know they went to heaven because they were followers of Jesus. And, and Paul's not saying here that you sorrow not, as others who have no hope, or that you sorrow not. You know, it, it, he's not saying, quit crying, suck it up, where's your faith? He's not saying those things. He's saying for us that there's something different in the way that we weep, okay? Yeah, crying, it just, it's the way it's gone. You know what? There's people... There's empty seats in this congregation because the people who used to sit in them are now in heaven today. And and there's a lot of times where tears fell down my eyes, and it wasn't because I was weak in the faith, and it wasn't because I needed to suck it up. Ecclesiastes tells us there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. We look at Jesus, and he wept. And you know what they concluded? Shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, right, at the tomb of Lazarus. And you know what they concluded about him weeping? wasn't that he was weak in faith, or what about his promises? He said, oh, how he loved them. You know, when you pain for others, it's the fruit that you actually love people. And even Jesus looking over Jerusalem, he beheld the city, and he wept over it. I have here, where did I put it? There it is. I have here a a folder. It's my funeral folder. Every funeral I've ever done, whether it's what I've written, whether it's the card that you get at a funeral or the pamphlet you get at a funeral. I have this. I was just going to tell you about it, but I thought I'd show you. 
I have that, and, and, and to me, I look through it from time to time, especially as I'm preparing for a funeral. And, and, and when I do look through it, I, I think about these lives, right? And, and, and if you remember not too long ago, Sherry Van Buren went home, and uh, what a dear, sweet sister she was, but she humbled me so much because she called me. I, 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 came to, <laughs> I couldn't go visit her because I had COVID, you know? And I didn't want to tell anybody I had COVID, but I had COVID. I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go see her. I, I was sick. And, uh, you know, so I, I called her on the phone. And, you know, she just, she just was really pouring a lot of uh, love and blessing into my life for what she said I did for her. But the reality is when I look through that funeral folder of mine, I think about what a part of these people were in my life and a blessing they brought to me, my wife, and my kids, and what a blessing they were to this body of believers here at Opaz Chapel. Proverbs 10.7 says that the memory of the righteous is a blessing, and Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We weep. We weep like Jesus weeps. But our tears that the Bible tells us God collects in a bottle, has the golden threads of hope weave through our hurt. We pain, but our pain has the golden threads of promises that weave through our souls. Spurgeon said this, tears are permitted to us, but they must glisten in the light of faith and hope. That's why we don't mourn like them. I don't need to go get high. I don't need to go get drunk. I don't need that. I have the scriptures that bring me true comfort, not a counterfeit comfort. When I have the opportunity to do a funeral, my goal is to share the hope of Jesus Christ and bring comfort to the family. My hope is to honor the life that honored God. And ultimately, to get the people out of the chairs and into their own coffin to recognize that there's a choice they need to make for Jesus Christ. And being indifferent is a choice against Jesus Christ. Now, we move on from hope for others to hope for ourselves. We look around this world and and we recognize that a lot of people are concerned when you turn on the news and the things that are going. And you hear theories, you hear truth, you you don't know what's true, what isn't. You hear conspiracy theories, and, and you know, we look at what, what's gonna, how's this all going to play out? Well, right here we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is how he tells us it's going to play out. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, all right, and that belief means I'm all in 100% trust. This isn't like, yeah, I got that somewhere in the theology of mine. No, if we believe it. If we believe that he died and rose again, that Jesus is who he says he is, Emmanuel, God in the flesh, who died for our sins and rose again the third day, like he told us he would. Even so, them which have died in Jesus will God bring with him. So where are they today? They are with him. That's their location. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which have died in the Lord. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, 
with the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. So we're all set, right? Time to go home. <laughs> no, I want you to turn over a page to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. The book of Titus calls the return of Jesus Christ the blessed hope. So what lies ahead for us? Well, I, I, I've got to tell you, because you need to know this, that we're a special group of people. As flawed as we are and as imperfect as we are, the church, those who are in the faith, we're a special group of people. You've got the past, which has the Old Testament saints, you know, from Abraham and Noah and David and all those individuals. And in the future, there's tribulation saints. So when God does pour out his wrath here for seven years after this event that we're looking at, we're going to see that the greatest revival of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ is going to take place during those extremely difficult days, a day where Jesus said there's going to be tribulation unlike the world has ever seen before. And then eventually when he sets up the new heavens and the new earth, or, or I mean, when he rules here for a thousand years, you're going to have the millennium saints. But presently, we have the church. And those are people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the church isn't the building. The church is you. It's you people who are following Jesus. It's you people who are disciples of Jesus. We're living in this time dispensation. This time dispensation, it's called the age of grace. This is a time where God's pouring out his favor into humanity and he's letting them know, look it, you've got sin, you're separated from me, but I love you so much, I've sent my son to pay for your sin so that you can be un united with me, you can be forgiven, and we can have this intimate relationship, and that you can have the hope of heaven. So as we look at the church, the beginning of it was actually Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Remember Jesus said, don't go anywhere until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So, so, so we see that in Acts chapter 2, we've been through the book of Acts, all right, a couple times. That happens at Pentecost. When the Spirit was poured out, the church was born. What we're looking at here is the end of the church. It's the end of a special group of people that we get to be in heaven. We're also known as the body of Christ or the bride of Christ. Okay, it's a very special position that we will have in eternity. All right, what needs to take place before this event? Well, Romans eleven twenty five says that blindness in part has happened to Israel. Spiritual blindness, obviously those people probably got a lot of 2020 vision, but spiritual blindness has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That means the people who are non-Jews, us, you know, if you're not Jewish in here. That's where God is working currently. He's got a Gentile church that he's, that he's assembling together. But what we're looking at today is called eschatology. It's the doctrine of of the last things. I believe Jesus is coming soon. I try to preach and teach each message with the urgency and the, expect, the expectancy that he's coming soon and, and that even today might be my last message because one of these days I'm going to be right. Right? Hopefully today. <laughs> but as you're there in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is what was told to the church right after Jesus departed. It says, And when he spoke in these things, Jesus, while they beheld, he was taken up in a cloud. 
and received out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing up into the heavens? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go up into heaven. So when he left, the first message that these believers got, he's coming back. He's coming back. And this is what Paul's building on here. This is the truth that Paul's building on here. When it comes down to eschatology, prophecy, the study of end time events, this is what you need to know, that there are two future comings of Jesus Christ. Look what he says here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, okay, that's two separate events. My Bible, I put a slash there because I'm separating the two. He says, and by our gathering together unto him. The first event of Christ's coming is called the rapture of the church. That's what we're looking at here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and Jesus spoke about it himself in John chapter 14. The rapture of the church is Jesus Christ coming to the clouds for his church. Okay? That's the first return of Jesus. He's not coming to the earth. He's coming to the clouds. He's coming to the air, and he's calling his church home. The second coming of Jesus Christ you find in Revelation chapter 19. And that's when Jesus Christ comes to earth with his church. Okay? So the first, we're waiting for him. The church is waiting for him. And one of these times he's going to say, okay, it's enough. I'm bringing my son's bride home. And we're gonna, he's going to come to the clouds. We're going to meet him in the clouds. We're going to go be with the Lord forever. And then seven, at least seven years after that, we're going to return with him to this earth. So you got the rapture, Jesus coming to the clouds for his church, the second coming in Revelation 19, Jesus coming to the earth with his church. And these two events are separated by at least a seven-year time period that we call the, uh, the uh, tribulation, which you find in Revelation 6 to 19. So I'm trying to make this clear so you got your eschatology down good. But, but he says here uh, that, that God, so we see here, go back to uh, Thessalonians with me. So if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so those which have died in faith in Christ, he's going to bring with him. So they're with him today. And they're going to come back with him at this time. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So the word of the Lord, what, what, what's Paul talking about there? I believe what he's talking about is he's really expounding what Jesus already told us in John 14, that he goes and prepares a place for us. And if he goes and prepares a place for us, then he's going to return again to take us to that place. He's told us that in John 14. I also believe that once Paul got saved, he went to the Arabian desert near Damascus for three years, and he received a lot of personal information, a lot of personal revelation from Jesus Christ that we have in the scripture from the epistles that he's given us. But he said, we're not going to prevent them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Verse 17, real important. Then we which are alive and remain, okay, so believers still on the earth, we're going to be caught up, okay? The word rapture is not found in the Bible, 
But, but the Greek word here is harpazo, and it literally means to seize or to carry off. It's where we get the Latin word rapio, and it's where we get our English word rapture from. So that's where that word rapture comes from. But it says we're going to be caught, or we're going to be snatched away, the Bible says, together with them. Okay, with who? With the believers of the past in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, if you go to 1 Corinthians with me real quick. Chapter 15. This is the same event explained to another church. Look what it says here. Now this I say, brethren. Again, believers, okay? Special group. The saved, not the churched. Not just church, but saved. Followers, disciples. People have chosen to make Jesus their Lord and Savior. Verse 50, 1 Corinthians 15, 50. This I say, brethren, believers, flesh and blood, the way we are right now, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all die. There's a generation of believers that is going to be able to escape death. There's a, and I hope it's our generation. By the way things are looking, I think there's a very good chance. So we shall not all sleep or die, but we shall be Changed, lasso in the Greek, it literally means to exchange one thing for another, literally to transform. Okay, so at that moment, we escape death and we change. We're changed instantaneously. And he says here, it's so quick, it's in a moment, which is the smallest particle of time, all right? What he put there in the Greek literally means the smallest particle particle of time. That's how quick it's going to be. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, and the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Think about that now. One of the greatest things that I look forward to in heaven is the fact that my heart and my mind will be perfect. I'll never be able to ever think anything that's wrong. I'll never be able to ever have a critical heart or anything like that. I'll have a a perfect mindset like Jesus. He says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality or literally we got to shed these earthly bodies and put on a new glorified body that is in an undying form. An undying form. Why? Because there's no death ahead. Death here is a transition from the temporal to the eternal in a blink, but there there's no death ahead because that's a whole new kingdom. That's the kingdom of God. So, as we look at this, Paul concludes this whole statement in verse 58. Look what he says here. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That's what imminency of Christ coming at any time produces an urgency for us. There's not a lot of time left, and there's opportunities that God wants to give each one of us out there.
And God's assembling his bride today with everybody that gets saved. So be bold. Ask the Holy Spirit for the boldness that we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ so this bride can be built and we can go be with our bridegroom. You can turn back to Thessalonians with me. But he says we're going to be caught up together with them. <laughs> you ever been to a reunion? <laughs> Never like this one. The reunion ahead is unimaginable. Totally unimaginable. The people that we miss, we will soon see. together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be, will ever be, ages and the ages to come. And you look at that and you think, wow, what a blessing that I'm going to be able to experience in my future, what hope I've got, and you know what, we wouldn't have any of it if Jesus didn't shed his blood. We wouldn't be able to cling on to anything for a future hope if it wasn't for his willingness to say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Now, there's different views of this event of when the timing's going to take place. And when you look at the book of Revelation, you see that it's broken up into different parts. And we see chapter 2 and 3 really is the church age, when God writes to the different churches. But the next chapter you see, 4, there's a trumpet like we're looking at here that calls John up hither. It says, come up hither. So what's that trumpet going to say when it blasts? Who knows? Yo, get up here. You know, we gone. I don't know. We don't know what it's going to say. You know, but we know it's going to blast. We know there's going to be a voice. And we see that John representative of the church, is taken up into the throne room of heaven where there's an unbelievable worship service that takes place in chapter 5 before the judgments are poured out in chapter 6. Now, we've been given Old Testament pictures of, of really this event, all right? When you think about it, God is righteous, and to be righteous, he has to do what's just. Now, you think about it right now. I mean, unfortunately, I heard the bad news about that shooting in Buffalo yesterday. Um, can you imagine if that guy just went before the judge and said, ah, he seems okay, let him go? <laughs> that wouldn't be just to serve. That'd be a bad judge because he didn't do what was right. God's going to do what was right, what is right. And eventually judgment is going to come on sin in this world. Eventually, it's going to come on this world. The Bible calls it a tribulation period. It's got a midway point where the first three and a half years, not as bad. Second three and a half years, amplified. 
And in the midst of doing that, we could think, wow, what a harsh God. But he's not a harsh God. He's a just God. And he's a righteous God. And he's got to do what's right. But with his grace and mercy, like I already told you, the greatest revival that this world's ever experienced is going to take place during that time period. People are going to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to seal 144,000 to preach the gospel. He's even going to have an angel flying through the air preaching the gospel. He's going to have two witnesses that everybody's going to see in Israel preaching the gospel. So God is so faithful that he's continuing always to reach people right to the end. But if you remember, we look at the judgments that we've seen in the Bible before. Okay? We don't... The church today just wants to hear about this loving, merciful, graceful God, and I love that aspect of who God is, but it's not all that he is. He's a just God. And when you look throughout the Bible that the nature of God is unchanging, the the word is immutable, that God doesn't change his nature. He stays the same. Like it says about Jesus, same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we see that, we we remember the flood of Noah. We went through Genesis. We'll be going back to Genesis at some point. But what did God do? God said eventually that that he was going to judge the earth. And, And you know what he did before he judged the earth? He took an individual by the name of Enoch, and he removed him from that judgment. Because Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. If you will, go to Genesis with me real quick. I want to show you something. We've already spoken about this when I went through it, but I think it's very, very important that we look at this. Uh, verse or chapter 18. So the flood judgment already took place. And now you got a city called Sodom and Gomorrah. Very wicked city. Perversion on steroids. Idleness. Prideful. That's what we know about that society. Sounds pretty similar to what we see today in a lot of ways. But as we see these angels come and and they tell Abraham that we've got to go and we're going to judge this city, he loved his nephew Lot, who's in the city. And look what it says here. In verse 20, the Lord speaking to Abraham, and the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, okay, things are getting real bad again. Globally, at one time, now in this city, this culture of Sodom and Gomorrah, I will go down now and see whether they've done all together according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence, and they went towards Sodom. But Abraham stood before the Lord. And Abraham drew near, and this is what he said, Will you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And I think he was probably remembering Enoch. 
And he says, if there's 50 righteous within the city, will you also destroy and spare the place for 50 righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Abraham knew that God would not do that, that he would not judge the righteous with the wicked. And you know what happens? These angels go in there, and, and, and they take... They take Lot, and, and he takes his wife and his two daughters, and they actually snatch him out of this place of judgment, almost like their own personal rapture. And they basically told them, we can't do anything until you're out of here. When you look at Rahab the harlot, she had faith in Jericho. And they gave her a promise that when they came to destroy that city, because of her faith, they would take her and her family out of there. So what does that mean? That means when it comes to the judgment of God that lies ahead because you belong to Jesus Christ, you will be spared from the judgment. Go to Romans 5 with me for a moment. Where you look and you're like, well, if he's going to judge the world, if his wrath's going to be poured out on them, how come not on me? I've sinned. I've done wicked things. I've said wicked things. I've thought wicked things. Look at Romans 5, verse 8. But God commended or demonstrated his love towards us. This was his love. If you ever doubt the love of God, remember this verse. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, look at, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The reason I do not fear the future wrath of God is because Jesus took all that wrath that I deserved on his cross for me. Imputed his righteousness to me. My sin has been judged because God must be righteous concerning my sin. But it was judged 2,000 years ago on the cross. I shared with you guys before, and it's a mental image in my mind, that years ago, doing something stupid when I was in the electrical union, I should be dead. But I'm not because I pulled this ground wire out of this 400 amp, 15,000 volt control center. And when that wire hit the hot bar and death was charging at me, the only reason 
that I'm still alive today is because they shorted out on the metal frame next to it, and that took the hit for me, or I'd be dead. And the only reason that you and I are going to live forever is because 2,000 years ago, Jesus took the hit for you and me so that we wouldn't have to die. That that death would not have its impact on us. But by being a follower of Him, we go from here to there. All because of Jesus. Now because of time, i got to wrap up here. I did have a few other things, but... uh, let me share you something with you real quickly. And I want you to think about this. So the rapture of the church, like it's got the doctrine of imminency with it. And all that means is there's nothing that needs to happen prior to this event taking place. Prior to the trumpet sounding, prior to the shout, prior to us in a moment, shortest particle of time, pew, out of here. Out of here. And they're going to have to explain it, right? Aliens, you know. <laughs> Hollywood setting them up. Aliens. They were nonconformists. They had to go. Whatever. You can only imagine. I'm not going to be here. I don't care. Say whatever you want about me. They do anyhow. But I want you to think about this. Here's the background of a Hebrew marriage custom. The betrothal period. The prospective broom travels from his father's house to the home of his prospective bride, paying the purchase price established in the marriage covenant. Jesus left heaven. He came here to this place where his bride is, and he paid the price on the cross, establishing the marriage covenant. The groom returns to his father's house and remains separate from his bride for a period of time, and he prepares the living accommodations for his wife in his father's house, right? I go to prepare a place for you. The groom then comes for his bride at a time that not actually known to her. In his return with her, to the groom's father house to consummate the marriage and to celebrate the wedding feast for the next seven days. Revelation 19 tells us about the marriage supper of the Lamb. During which the bride remains closeted in her bridal chamber. And then she's brought forth openly to be seen by all with her groom. At the second coming. Beautiful picture in the Hebrew marriage custom of what our Hebrew divine Messiah is doing for his bride, you and me. Now, as we look at that, these are the things that lie ahead, that give us great hope. I've been holding on to that hope since I got saved, since I first heard about it. Matter of fact, the person who shared this with me 
Uh, it was one of the catalysts that really brought me to Christ, all these end-time events. And maybe you're here today, maybe you're visiting today, and you don't know any of this stuff. You're just wondering, like, what in the world is going on, man? This place has gone nuts. Uh, I'm here to tell you, man, that the Bible is getting tomorrow's news today. And it, God gives us tomorrow's news today so that we know how to live today. And we know how to prepare for tomorrow. And the reality is, is if you're not secure in your faith in Jesus, if you don't know, because all this stuff is for believers, even, even when I, I look at this section, we've got three verses, and, and, and here's the reality, three verses that say, Lord, five times. Three verses say, Lord, five times. Lord is master. Lord is owner. I'm telling you, when Jesus comes back at the rapture, he's only going to take what belongs to him. And you've got to ask yourself, do you belong to him? Have you been bought with a price? Have you given him your life? Have you received his forgiveness? I go to church. Doesn't matter. Glad you're here. Doesn't matter. I'm not talking church. I'm not talking morality. I'm not talking serving. I'm talking saved. Do you know you're saved? The Bible tells us these things are written that you might know you have eternal life. Do you have that confidence? Do you know you have eternal life? I know I do. It's no arrogance because it's not based on me. It's confidence all based on him. Can you say that? Because if you can't, today is the day the Bible says don't harden your heart. Jesus is coming. Look, at this might be the last church service at Old Paz Chapel. The way things are looking, great possibility. This could be the last church service here. That trumpet, that shout, all that stuff could take place. Boom, the believers are out of here. Will you go? Will you go? It's so important that you realize that it is your sin that you've been born with because of the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden has been passed on to you and me. We don't compare ourselves by ourselves. Yes, some are worse than others, but it doesn't matter. It's sin that separates us between us and God. But God loved us too much to leave us in a state of separation. He sent his son to bridge that gap on the cross. And that's where we can receive forgiveness. By turning from it. By making Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Five times, three verses, Lord, he's only coming back for what belongs to him. Do you belong to him? Well, he can have me if he wants me. No, 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 no. It's not that, man. This is a choice of your will. Do you want to be saved? Do you want Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Well, I screwed up this week. Yep, so did I. But is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Is he at work in your life? Are you following him? Are you his disciple? I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus even now. Open your heart to him. He shed his blood 
to forgive you of everything, past, present, and future, and to give you a position with God where you won't have any judgment ahead because all your judgment is behind. Remember what it says about Jesus? And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord laid on him. I'm going to say a prayer. And if you want Christ to come in your life, you mean it. I'm not trying to talk you into it. I'm just telling you the gospel. You can invite Jesus into your life now. And Lord, I I just pray for anybody that might have visited here today, hearing some Bible prophecy the same way you worked in my heart, boy, 28 years ago, hearing Bible prophecy. I pray even at this moment that they, of their own will, would embrace the fact that they've sinned. And will choose of their own will to turn from that today. To see what you've done for them on the cross. And ask you even at this moment for forgiveness. And embrace you as a personal Lord and Savior. Acknowledging that you died on the cross for their sin that you rose again the third day. I thank you, Lord, that you're preparing your church to go home. What a day that's going to be. Awaken our heart for the souls around us, whether they're saved and need encouragement or whether they're lost and they need Jesus. Help us, God, to be the body of Christ operating the way that you did when you were here, operating through our lives. Thank you, Jesus, beyond words that you took on yourself, the iniquity of us all. When you gave up the ghost, you said, it is finished paid in full. Thank you for a love that is unfathomable. Thank you for a work that deserves our greatest appreciation and admiration. I bless you, Lord. I thank you for the work of your spirit and the lives of your people. And I ask, Lord, that like the church at Thessalonica, that you would amplify our love for you and for one another. That we would find hope today. That we would live with anticipation today. That we would live with urgency today. as we prepare to meet you soon. In Jesus' name, amen.